and save us. He's already saved us. Amen. He's raised us up with him. We're now seated in heavenly places with him. Amen. In a place of authority, in a place of power, in a place of transformation. And our hearts are so grateful. Amen. Amen. And this is what we're getting ready to celebrate. The light has come. We are no longer lost. We have a Savior. We belong to him. He belongs to us. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Go ahead. Be seated. How are we doing today? Blessed? Blessed? Blessed. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I'm blessed. Because the word of God says so. Now, let's do it again. You guys messed it up. Ready? Turn to somebody and say, I'm blessed. Because the word of God says so. Hallelujah. We are blessed, blessed people. We have a Savior. Praise God. We should remember that all year long, not just now, all year long. Before I get into the teaching for today, we're going to be continuing on this series of preparing our hearts for Christmas. On your seat, did you see one of these cards? Can, can you show it to me? Can you kind of wave it around a little bit? Come on, everybody. Come on. Don't be lazy. Let's see. Come on, Joe. You don't have one? All right, we'll get you one. Okay, so when, uh, when the attack took place on October the 7th, just my heart just started to be so impacted, and I became so conscious and aware of the fact that we have people living right around us, right in our midst here, who are living in fear. Who are, living, who are living lives just going day in, day out, feeling intimidated. And I felt like we needed to do something. And so I started to urge the congregation, and some of you might remember this, if you're out in public, if you're out at the mall, if you're some, wherever you are, wherever you, and you see a member of the Jewish community, Orthodox community, Hasidic community, go up to the people and tell them, we're praying for you. Amen. You see, we don't realize this. Some of us may have, but mo- most people don't. For the most part, for the most part, the people in the Orthodox community think we hate them. They've got this idea from what Christianity has been like for hundreds of years that we're against them. And so they need to know, listen, we're praying for you. We support you. And we started getting testimonies. Some of you might be sitting in this room right now saying, I met a person. Uh, uh, I remember one person told me they met an individual in Wawa. And, and went to the person and said, listen, uh, well, our church is praying for you. Our church is praying for Israel. And, and the person was so impacted. And then other people have shared stories, even up until this morning, 9 o'clock service, somebody shared a story with me where they, they went up to someone. You know, another individual had almost a 45-minute conversation with a gentleman at Costco. Okay? And they're, they're surprised when they hear, well, you're, you're praying for us? So we thought... I thought, I just had this idea, I believe it's from the Holy Spirit, that we would make up these little cards that we could just hand to people when we see them. And you see what it says. It says on one side, it says, I am praying for Israel and for the Jewish people around the world. May you find strength and comfort in the support of those around you. 
And then on the other side, it's Psalm 122, verse 6 and 7. I believe it is. I need longer arms for this one. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is a psalm. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. And and I'm sure somebody's saying, but there's no name of the church on it. That's right. They don't need to know about us. They just need to know about our love for them. They don't need to know. If God wants them to find out that we're here, we don't want this to be like, oh, you're just ambushing us. We just want this to be a genuine act of love with no strings attached. So, now listen. Listen. You have one on your seat, but we have many more at the, in the lobby up there at the front desk. If you desire, I would suggest you take at least two or three of them. Keep them. Whenever you run across somebody, just say, listen, can I give this to you? And just, just let God take it from there. If it's just you handing off a card, wonderful. If you get the opportunity to speak to them, whatever God puts in your heart, just, just, be, just be normal. Don't become this super spiritual Christian. Just be normal. Say, so listen, we're praying for you. We love you. We want you to know that. You're not alone. Amen? Amen. We're going to make a difference. We're going to make a difference. Because 70 years ago, all the churches in Europe turned against the Jews. They had no support in the majority of the churches. That's not going to happen again. As far as I'm concerned here in Brick, it's not going to happen again. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So, here we go. You guys ready? Yes. You came here today for us to learn a couple of things together? Yes. Amen. Okay, so we've been spending time in these past couple of weeks, and even, honestly, ever since Thanksgiving. And I've been, I've been purposely emphasizing the fact that you can go into what we call the Old Testament, okay? I like to refer to it as the first covenant as opposed to the second covenant. And we're told that the second covenant that we have has new and better promises, but Understand that you can't have a second covenant unless you have a first covenant. So let's not forget that. I'm going to say something else here, and I pray that you take this to heart. If you have limited yourself to only reading the New Testament, you probably have misunderstood 60% of the stuff that you're reading. Because, you see, the New Testament writers didn't know they were writing a New Testament. They believed they were fulfilling the first covenant. But if you, don't, if you have no knowledge of the first covenant, there's going to be a lot that's said and written to us in the second covenant that's going to go... Because, especially Paul's writings, he's constantly quoting from the first covenant. If you have no knowledge of the first covenant, you can't possibly understand the depth of the richness of what's available to us in the second covenant. The second covenant explains and clarifies what was given to us in the first covenant. Are you getting that? Amen. Please don't, don't block yourself. Because I know there's some teachers out there. There's some teachers on, on TV and stuff, on, uh, online and stuff. Like that. Say, well, we don't have to, you know, Old Testament's not. No, the Old Testament is fulfilled. But if you don't know the fulfillment, if you don't understand where the promise was, how are you going to appreciate the fulfillment? Are you listening? And, and let me tell you, if you train your eye and train your soul, you'll see Jesus all through the first covenant. From the very beginning, all the way to the book of Malachi. 
you will see Jesus in the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go back again now to that first covenant. All right? And um, let's just jump in here. Isaiah chapter 9. Nah, nah, we need to go. Yeah. We're talking about light. That's kind of the theme for this whole month. And it'll lead into Christmas, Christmas services. And what we need to understand that you remember in the beginning, what was one of the very first things that God said? Let there be, light. Let there be what? Light. light. And there was light. And he saw that the light was good. And understand this and grab a hold of this. Light is always something good and positive. As far as scripture is concerned, it always presents light as something very, very positive. It's a symbol of God himself. It's used as a symbol for his children, for truth, for faith, for righteousness, etc. Darkness is the opposite of every single one of those things. Darkness is the opposite of God. In him, there's no shadow of turn. There is no darkness in God uh, as far as his children go. We who are his children are not supposed to have any darkness in us. We're supposed to avoid darkness. We're supposed to be repulsed by darkness. It should have nothing to do with us. As far as faith goes and truth, light is always associated with those things. Darkness is the very absence of truth and of faith. And righteousness? Righteousness is symbolic of us walking in the light. Walking in who he is. Now, as we approach 2024, we see darkness growing. You don't even have to read the Bible. You just go read the news. Go watch the news. Go listen to some of the broadcasts. Darkness is growing. And that's okay. God knew it was going to happen. This shadow is being cast all over the earth. But we're encouraged by the word of God. And again, we're going to go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. I love this verse of scripture. I have found over the years that every time I, I, I feel like I'm being drawn into a place of prayer. I'm talking about intercessory prayer. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Intercessory type prayer. This scripture always comes up. This scripture always comes up. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You would think he wrote this last week. Verse 2, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And so we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that the light has come. The light has appeared on earth. We're talking about the light of God, the light of life, the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to go back into that first covenant again to a scripture that's pointing to Jesus. And we're going to be going through a lot of scripture today because we're a teaching church. I got a couple of grunts there. We're, we're a teaching church. And in a teaching church, we don't teach our opinions. We don't teach our own stories. We teach the word of God. Are you listening to me? Because that is the foundation of our truth. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, and it picks up in the middle of context here, so I would advise you to read chapter 8 first at some point in time uh, and then read again into, verse, into chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who was distressed. And when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon, that's important, and the land of Naphtali, this is in northern Israel, what we would call today northern Israel, the area that's being under attack right now from, the, uh, from Lebanon. And afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee. Does that, does that name sound familiar? Galilee. Jesus of Galilee. Okay, a lot of Jesus' ministry time was spent in the area of Galilee, which is kind of northern Israel. Okay? Uh, this particular area, he's calling it the, the Spirit of God through the prophet Isaiah, is calling it Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, if you've been here at any length of time, and you might know what that word means, Gentiles is referred to now in, in our modern day, is re, it refers to those who are non Jewish. But in this time period, Gentiles was the term that we use for people without God. Now, we might be non-Jewish, but we're not without God. Yes or no? All right? So this is talking about Jesus. This is all talking about Jesus in the book of Isaiah, written approximately 700 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Jesus is in the first covenant. He's promised to us. Verse 2. Again, we're talking about the subject of light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah is predicting and prophesying what's going to happen in the future when this man shows up. And the fact of the matter is, we'll show you in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, the very fulfillment of this particular prophecy. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. He's seeing this happening. He's reporting to us. Just like if you read Isaiah 53. I know most of us are probably familiar with Isaiah 53, that great prophecy about the Messiah who would come and be crucified. Centuries before, that was written centuries before, crucifixion was even a thing. Isaiah saw it. He saw this man. He saw him suffering. He saw him crucified. But now in this, in chapter, in chapter 9, he's predicting that this man is going to go to this area in northern Israel, in Zebulon, in the land of Naphtali, by, by Galilee of the Gentiles. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Speaking of Jesus now. Matthew is recording Jesus' ministry here. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea. Literally, Capernaum is right on the Sea of Galilee. In the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali, northern Israel, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. He's telling us what Isaiah prophesied, that we call Isaiah chapter 60, this man Jesus fulfilled. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has what? Dawned. Peter goes on to say years later, and that light, has dawned in our hearts. The light has come, and the light has a name. Say this, he has a name. name. Matthew chapter 1. Let's go back a couple of chapters. Verse 18, I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. 
His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Miraculous birth. Verse 19, Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly because according to the law of Moses, <coughs> due to the fact that she became pregnant while they were engaged and not married yet, the law of Moses required her to be stoned to death for being unfaithful, okay? So, Joseph decides he loves her too much. He's not going to disgrace her. He's just going to kind of cancel the engagement and quietly just walk away. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Thank God that the Lord knows when to step in. Amen. Joseph, son of David, because Joseph is a direct descendant of King David, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him... Jesus. That was pretty weak. And you are to name him... Jesus. Thank you. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, that phrase after the word Jesus, or the name Jesus, is not the job description. It's a definition of his name. Jesus comes from the same root word. Well, Jesus is honestly our, our uh, Greek version of his name. Uh, Jesus would have never heard his name Jesus in his lifetime here on the earth. Okay? His name is Yeshua. Yeshua. Could you say that? Yeshua. Okay? It comes from the same root word as the name Joshua. Can you say Joshua? Joshua. You, hear, you hear the similarities? Yeshua. Joshua. They both come from the same root words. And it's from the root word in Hebrew that means salvation. So when the angel said to him, you know, you're going to name him Jesus, Yeshua. Basically what he said is you're going to name him salvation because he's going to save his people from their sins. Because that's what a savior does, right? So let's talk about that for a moment. Maybe to raise a level of appreciation. Um, you asked Jesus, I'm assuming that, you know, most of the people in this room, if those of you who haven't, will have a chance before we leave today. When you asked Jesus to come into your heart, you were asking salvation to come into your life. Amen. You're requesting salvation. And so, you know, we say, well, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Okay. Is he both? Savior was his job. Lord is ours. He can't make himself Lord in your life, in my life. We have to make him Lord in our lives. And that requires us to submit to him, to submit to his lordship, to submit to his dominion, to, to pretty much put our lives aside and say, you are Lord over my life. I'm, I'm, thank you for being my savior. Thank you for, for going to the cross with me. Thank you for suffering the horrific, horrific death that you suffered. And because of that, in appreciation, I choose to make you Lord over my life. So I'm going to prefer you before myself. I'm not going to insist on having my own way. I'm going, to, I'm going to let you lead me. I'm going to allow you to guide me. Please let me know what your plan is for my life so that I can cooperate with it. Amen? Amen. Are you listening? Yes. So, so understand that when you refer to him as Jesus, my Lord, 
understand that you're declaring your submission to his lordship. Let that filter through every part of our lives. Let that affect the selfishness in our lives. Let that affect our self-will in our lives. Because we're supposed to be reflecting his lordship. Uh, are you getting this? Yes. All right, we'll talk about it some more in the future. So, no other life has impacted mankind like that of our Savior. There's never been a life that has changed the history of the world like his, and there never will be another one like his. Never before has God come to earth to be with his people, to teach them, to love them, to heal them, to die for them. It's never happened before. And this is what we're getting ready to celebrate. Please make sure that it doesn't get crowded out amongst the candy canes, amongst the cookies, amongst the Christmas decorations. What good is it decorating our house if we don't even know what we're celebrating? Everything that we do for this holiday, we should be doing in honor of his birth. Say, well, pastor, we don't even know if it was December 25th. Here we go again. <laughs> it doesn't matter. What matters is he was born on a day. Yes or no? He was born. He came into this earth. He went from the realm of the spirit and became a natural flesh and blood and bone individual and came here to this earth so that he could relate to us, so that we could relate to him, so that we'd have the comfort to know that we don't, we don't, we're not serving a God who's far away, who doesn't understand what it's like to deal with the hurts and the wounds that we deal with in this life. Last week, uh, I made mention of the fact that when Jesus was born, and, uh, you know, we have these little nativity scenes and all this stuff. Who has one in your house? Nativity, little nativity thing. We had the little barn and the whole thing. And that was, it was nothing like that. He was born in a cave. There was caves outside of Bethlehem where he was born. And then we have the little A-frame thing with the straw in it. And we said, well, this is the, we have all the Christmas cards with the baby laying. They never saw one of those things. In a cave, they would take portion of the cave and they would carve out this hollow and that's where they would put the feed for the sheep and, and for cattle and for everything else. And that's what's called a manger, a manger, manger. Does it sound familiar? Manja. <laughs> it comes from that root word. It's a feeder. It's where they ate from. And it was made out of cold, hard stone. So immediately at birth, he's becoming familiar with the hardness and the coldness of this life. Do you understand this? Realize what he endured, what he suffered, what he put on himself by coming to this earth and limiting himself to a flesh and blood and bone body just like yours and just like mine. You listening? It cost him. To be our savior, it cost him. And we should have appreciation for that. Amen? Amen. So, again, we're talking about this theme of light and how light pierces through the darkness. How light brings us, we feel sense of safety and security in the light. I mean, if you like to hang around in dark rooms all by yourself, you probably need prayer. You can come up at the end of the service. You know, we want it. As soon as we walk to anything that's dark, we want to try to introduce light somehow, whether it's with our phones or 
a candle or a flashlight or something. It's very natural for us to want to introduce light into darkness. And where do you think we got that from? We got that from our Father in heaven. Psalm 104 verse 2 says this, the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, who alone, referring to God, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. I've read reports and heard testimonies of people who God has allowed to go to heaven and come back. And I've heard it more than, more than a couple of occasions. Almost, almost I would say 100% of the time. Individuals who have had that kind of experience will come and they'll say, now I saw Jesus, but I couldn't see him who was on the throne. That's what Timothy's talking about. Excuse me, Paul's talking about to Timothy. That's what this letter is revealing to us. Our Father in heaven is so far beyond what we know and what we can experience. But rather than stay separated, unapproachable, he comes to earth in the form of Jesus so that we could get to know him, so that we could relate to the human side of him. Again, not diminishing who he is. Jesus is 100% God, yes? But we know he's also 100% man. So how does that work? I don't know. When we get there, we'll meet on some street corner in heaven, and we'll go, come on, let's go ask him and let him explain it to us because it's not something that we can fathom or wrap our heads around here on earth. So Paul's writing to Timothy, and he reminds us of the eternal majesty of God who wraps himself in light, unapproachable, but when we compare what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we clearly see that Jesus came to reveal the Father in person. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Did you bring your Bibles? I don't hear any pages turning. Remember, where, what kind of church are we? Teaching, Teaching church. You've got to bring your curriculum. Bring your curriculum. Get on your phones at least and open up your Bible app. And if, we're, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. What is the result of people's minds being blinded? The result is so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, the one who's unapproachable has come and made himself approachable among us. And we see the glory of the Messiah. We see the glory of our salvation in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, let me spend two minutes on something here because every time I come to this verse of Scripture, no matter what I'm teaching on, I like to explain a couple of things so that we know how to pray for people more properly and more correctly and more effectively, right? Now, it says here that the God of this age, who's the God of this age? Satan. Satan. Little G, little G. Say little G. Little G. He's not a rap singer, it's just Satan. <laughs> the God of this age has blinded the minds of who? Unbelievers. Unbelievers, right? Okay. So we have this habit of categorizing people as either saved 
are unbelievers. But there's more than, there's more than that. You see, your family members or your friends or people or somebody on the other side of the world that has never really heard the gospel cannot be an unbeliever. They're a never heard. Are you getting this? They're a what? A never heard. An unbeliever is somebody who has heard and rejected. And when a person hears and rejects, the enemy of our souls has the legal right to come and put this veil over their eyes. It happened to Saul of Tarsus, who eventually became Paul. You remember, Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, interrupts his, his mission to Damascus, and, and he, says to, he says to Saul, pretty much saying, hey, it's hard for you to kick against what I'm trying to do in your life. Now, I believe with all my heart, when we get to heaven, again, we'll meet on some street corner, we'll go ask Jesus. I don't believe this is the first time that Jesus is talking to, because the context of the communication, it sounds like a continuation of a previous conversation. It's hard for you to kick against the goes, it says in, in the original language. What is that? It's a long pole, with a, like a spear. And when you had an ox or a mule or some, some kind of beast of burden that did not want to move, you got behind them with that pointed spear and you persuaded them to go. And that's exactly the language that Jesus is using. Now, if this is the first time that he's speaking to Saul, it sounds out of place. But if every time Saul sat down to read his first covenant, the prophets, the books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Holy Spirit would speak to him. Especially imagine, imagine when Saul would have got to Isaiah 53 and read Isaiah 53 and the Holy Spirit saying to him, that's Jesus. That's the man who was just crucified. That's who this is. And, and Saul would go, I can't, I can't accept it. I can't accept it. I can't accept it. And so what happens? He goes from, from being this devout, pious man to jailing Christians and was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned to death. Saul was there giving consent to them stoning this man to death. What happened? The scale, the veil, the unbelief came over him. Because what happens? When Jesus now meets him on the road to Damascus, he's blind for, for a few days. And then Jesus speaks to a man named Ananias in Damascus, Syria, and says to him, go to such and such a street. Go to Straight Street. There's a man there named Saul. I want you to go. And, and Ananias goes, I'm not going to go talk to this guy. He's here. He's come here to arrest us. Finally, Ananias goes there and ministers to Saul. And what happens? What does the Bible tell us in the book of Acts? And what fell from his eyes? Scales. He went from an unbeliever to being a believer. But there are many people in our lives, let me be honest with you, 100% transparent, okay? Born into a Catholic family. Went to Catholic school. From kindergarten all the way up to sixth grade. I was the devout one in the family. When I got born again, shook the whole family up. Okay. I could tell you every saint, what they meant, what they were patron saint over. I could tell you what you're supposed to eat on certain days. I could tell you all these things. I could tell you all these miracles. could have told you all the miracles. But I never heard the gospel. I never heard 
that Jesus died on the cross, that he, even though, even though, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, jingle, 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 okay? And I'm not making fun of anything. I'm just trying to bring you back to context. Nobody ever explained to us that we needed to place our faith in him and not our good works. And I'm not bashing anybody, but nobody explained to us, it doesn't matter, no matter how many rosaries you pray, doesn't matter how many candles you light, doesn't matter how many times you drag yourself on the ground crying, that is not what gets you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is that you place your faith in the one who went to the cross. So here I am in the midst of all this religiosity, and nobody ever told me the gospel. And many of you I know have had the same experience. So here's Saul, steeped in Judaism, taught to someday the Messiah is going to come. The Messiah comes. He knows that the Messiah has come because he would have been a young man, a kid, when Jesus went to the cross. He's heard these things. He's being trained to be this top rabbi, had never heard the gospel of salvation. Well, well, that's because, you know, he only knew the, the Old Testament. And where do you think the gospel of salvation comes from? You think it was a new invention in the gospels? No. The Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Abraham knew, it's not about my good works, it's about me trusting in this one that's going to come in the future. That's how he received his salvation. What do you think? Everybody in the Old Testament all went to hell? No. No, they went to a place called paradise. You remember what Jesus said to the thief next to him? Today you'll be with me where? In paradise. Didn't say heaven. He said what? Paradise. When Jesus dies on the cross, goes into hell, when he comes back, he gets to paradise and empties out paradise. Remember, it was referred to as Abraham's bosom. You remember Lazarus and the rich man? You remember the story? Well, where do you think that took place? In paradise, in this compartment where the Old Testament saints went to because Jesus had not risen from the dead yet. When Jesus rose from the dead, he stops by there. Come on, guys, I got the key and goes and opens up the doors of heaven, and they empty out paradise. But the other side, Hades, is still there. Nobody's in the lake of fire right now. The time comes when Hades, the compartment where the unsaved went, will be taken and emptied into the lake of fire at that point in time, which is a distance from now. Nobody's there yet. This is all that Jesus did for us. He spared us, but you think he only spared us because we're so special? Anybody who's ever placed their faith and trust in Jesus, anybody in the Old Testament that put their faith and trust that someday this Messiah is coming, even Job said, I know someday I'm gonna see him on the earth. I know someday my Redeemer lives, and I know someday he's going to be on this earth. It's all, listen to me, it's all about trust. It's all about faith. It's not about your good works. And I don't want to find myself spending so much time in this because there's so many crazy teachings out there. There's so much garbage out there. If you're not discerning, if you don't have the wisdom of the knowledge of the word, you can fall for any of this garbage because it all sounds so spiritual. Every major cult, every major false religion started out as spiritual. But there is a realm of darkness and there's a realm of light. 
The realm of darkness tries to counterfeit itself looking like the realm of light. If you can't tell the difference, you can get sucked into some of these things. You listening? Yes. Right now, there's a, there's a major, major conflict going on in the Middle East. Why? Because of a man 1,400 years ago that went into a cave to pray and this being appeared to him and told him that the Bible was corrupted, even though the Bible had been, had been completed 600 years before. And he fell for it. And he got a whole bunch of people to fall for it. And, every, and, and by the time you realize it, they're taking over nations. You know what it's called today? Islam. Started with a vision from a false angel. And he didn't know the difference because it was a spiritual experience. And here's so many people, you know, you know, I've had this spiritual experience. Oh, honey, you're scaring me. <laughs> Let's talk about this spiritual experience because uh, not, everything is that, not everything that's spiritual comes from God. The enemy, we're told, appears like an angel of light. There's a counterfeit right there. Jesus is the light of the world. Are you listening to me? I'm talking to somebody today because this isn't in my notes. Be alert. Be aware. Be sober. For your enemy roams about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And everything that looks religious is not coming from God. Whenever you have some kind of a philosophy that involves you at the center of your salvation and your good deeds and your good works, and I really got my act together. You understand? I got some willpower now. I got my act together. When you start talking like that, you are putting your trust in your own self and not your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by him. Might, might, might make you cringe. It might, you might not like what I'm saying because you think you're so, you know, whatever. You cannot earn your way into salvation. It is impossible. You can earn your way into hell, but you cannot earn your way into salvation. Just do nothing. You're born. We're born going to hell. Aren't you glad you came here this morning? <laughs> Such an enlightening, light, <laughs> encouraging message. You don't have to do a thing to go to hell. Just be born and die. Go to hell. But to go to heaven, you're going to have to take the faith that you have in your own self-reliance and your self-will and your self-motivation and all that. Everything is self, self, self. Stinks. You know what this whole gospel is about? It's about God trying to get our faith back in him again. It's about God putting, about, God, about us putting our trust in God again. Because let me tell you, okay? Let's go back to the original offense against God. The very original offense, Okay? And if you come from my background, as soon as you hear the word original, you know where I'm going with it. Yes. Okay? Original. What's the original, what's the original sin? That the man and woman took their faith that they had in God, disconnected it from God, and connected it to the serpent. They believed the lies of the devil more than Adam believed in the promises of God. Could you imagine what an offense that was to God? Now, although we offended him, he didn't take offense. He chose to love us. But he's also the God of justice. And when something is wrong, it has to be righted. 
It has to be corrected. You understand what I'm saying? And so instead of expecting us now to pay for the offense that took place by the original man and woman, he chooses to come to earth in the form of man, born in this cold and hard manger to experience everything that we experience because of the sin that came on this earth. And he chose to come here and take the punishment that you and I deserved and take it upon himself. You listening to me? Yes. He came to pay a debt that he didn't know. That debt was way too great for us to ever pay. It's impossible. So please, those of you that might have fallen prey to some of this this teaching about we can become a good people and we can make the world a better place. No, you can't. The world is getting worse. What's better about this world? We don't understand the glory that's waiting for us. We don't understand the new life that is waiting for us. We get to experience a little bit of it here when we get born again, when we receive Christ as the Lord and Savior. The spirit of the living God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes to live inside of us and it says and it quickens our mortal bodies. He brings life to us. And so we now our perspective of life changes because we understand, yeah, we're, we're here now and we need to put up with some garbage on this earth, but we need to do the best we can to shine the light that has come inside of us through the Lord Jesus Christ and by his spirit. And we need to, what we need to do at that point is make that light available to everyone that we possibly can make it to. But we're going to suffer some things while we're here. We're going to cease. We're going to get saddened by some things. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be disappointments. It's just life on earth under sin. But understand this, that at some point in time, and we're getting real close, real close, someday everything's going to shift, everything's going to change, and it's going to be so much better, so much better. Hallelujah. You know, you, you read these testimonies, and again, I, I, I kind of alluded to this before. You, you read and you hear these testimonies of people that are allowed to go to heaven. And almost all of them say the same thing. I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to come back. I likened it. I used the illustration this morning. I can't think of a better one. Let's say you're raised in a completely alcoholic, degenerate, abusive household. And that's all you know since the day you were born. <clears throat> people being drunk, people throwing stuff at each other, people stumbling and falling down, people beating each other up, people just fighting constantly. And then one day, your, your good friend invites you to come and have dinner at his house down the street. And you walk in there, and you're like, Nobody, where is everybody? Nobody's screaming, nobody's yelling, nobody's throwing up on the floor. You sit down at the table, they have dinner together, and you're eating food that's edible. And you're like, by the end of the night, you're going to the parents, can I stay here? Can, can I live here? Why? Because you've realized what I've been experiencing in my house is not normal. This is normal. But this is all I know. That's how we are on earth. All we know is this crazy planet that we're living on under a curse. It's a garbage dump compared to what it was supposed to be like in the original creation, what it was like. And it'll get restored one day. But this is all we know. So we, bring, we go to visit places in the dump and we send postcards to people. <laughs> I wish you were here. 
but the scenery's so beautiful. No, it's still a dump <laughs> compared to, but you see, because we haven't seen it yet, we don't have a point of reference. So we think, oh, this is awesome, man. This is, does life, we, we say stupid things like, does life get any better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you listening to me? Because some of these people that went to the neighbor, and I'm talking about in heaven, went to, the, went to where it's normal, where there's peace, where you can eat together with family, and nobody's cursing, nobody's fighting, nobody's backbiting. They're not gossiping about everybody else. And, and you, so, so anybody goes to heaven, of course you don't want to come back. Like, no, please. And Jesus, I know Jesus has said this to people, but you have a job to finish down there. There's people need you. And you want to say, forget them. I want to stay here. I want to stay here. I feel at home here. I feel at peace here. Because that's what we were created for. Don't be satisfied with this world. Don't get attracted by all the, the glitz and the glimmer and the sparkly and the lights and the, all the judge junk. We chase after things that they pave the streets with in heaven. People run after gold. They run after the precious metal. It's pavement in heaven. You don't pave. You know, you don't use paving. You don't use precious stuff to pave things with. Here on earth we do. We just did the parking lots over here. My God, we could have bought a house years ago. (laughs) Well, what it costs us to pave this thing. In heaven they use gold. Gold. The whole different life that's, looking, that's ahead for us. Celebrate that life being made available to us this Christmas. If it wasn't for that little baby that came and was allowed himself to be born into this horrible, cruel world, born into, in, born into an environment where the, the person who's in charge of the whole region wants to kill you, so he wipes out all the babies two years and younger, in the whole region of the town that you were born in. That's what he was born into. For who? For you and for me. Celebrate that. Remember that. Don't, don't, get, don't let the Christmas trees crowded out. Put the trees up. Put your Christmas trees up. Years ago, when I first got saved, there was a big controversy. Christians shouldn't have Christmas trees. Pagan. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. We sanctify those things. We bring them into, we, we eliminate the demonic stuff with it. Do you realize that every time in the, in, in the scriptures, whether Old Testament or New Testament, when it refers to crucifixion, it talks about hanging on a tree. Make that your Christmas tree. You listening? Celebrate it. Don't let the world overtake it, but celebrate this. Celebrate the beginning of the rescue mission that saved us. Are you listening to me? Like we sang before, we have a Savior. We are no longer lost, for he has come down to us. We have a Savior. Now, on the other side of things, don't make everything about the little baby, the little baby Jesus. Let's go pray to the baby. He's not a baby anymore. You have a birthday party. People come over. Do they bring you bibs? <laughs> what would you think if somebody came to your house? You're 40 years old. They bring you a rattle. Oh, we come and celebrate the baby. 
That was a baby 40 years ago. In my case, 67 years ago. Not a baby anymore. We don't pray to the little baby. Just pray to the baby Jesus. And that kid, that wanted, you heard about the story about the little kid that wanted a bicycle and for Christmas, and he wrote a note and put it under the tree. He took, took the little statue of Mary and put it in his bedroom and said, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, make sure there's a bicycle. <laughs> Make sure there's a bicycle under the tree if you ever want to see your mother again. Don't be like that. He's alive. He now is in his eternal majesty. The writer of the gospel, John. John, John the beloved. John, the one who loved Jesus so much and Jesus loved him. From the time he was a young man. He's there with Jesus. He's the youngest out of all the disciples. He's, he's there. He's with Jesus all the time. They did everything together for three and a half years. Jesus dies on the cross. Who's at the cross? John. He, he raises from the dead, ascends into heaven, and anywhere from 30 to 40 years later, John sees Jesus again, but he's not Jesus, the Lamb of God. He's Jesus in his eternal majesty. And you know what John's response is? Face plants, bam, down on the ground. Down on the ground. And if you go read it in the book of Revelation, the first chapter, okay? Now, I heard Rick Renner teach this, and he talks from the original language. If you know who Rick Renner is, go look him up. Best Bible teacher in the world right now. And he says this, in the original language, the way it's written in the book of Revelation, when John falls flat on his face, the flavor of the language is such where Jesus goes over to him and said, John, it's me. <sighs> John, it's me. He's scared. He's paralyzed by fear. He's not seen Jesus of eternity. He only knew the Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came to the earth. The man he saw crucified. Holes in his hands, holes in his side. He's never seen Jesus as he existed in eternity. Hair, white as wool. Eyes, flames of fire. He's got a golden, it's called girdle in the original language. He's, his waist is surrounded in gold. And it says from his shoulders to mid or mid, yeah, thigh. Now that doesn't mean much to us, but in the ancient world, a king was, would be fortunate to have a little band of gold this is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And his eyes are flames of fire. And so this one who's used to seeing Jesus sitting at the Last Supper, getting ready to be betrayed, he sees Jesus in his eternal majesty and falls on the floor frightened to death. And Jesus comes over and goes, John, it's me. That, I don't know if that gets you, it gets my, John, it's me. Don't be afraid, it's me. And no, you're not used to seeing me like this, but this is who I am. Whew. That's who we're celebrating this Christmas. Amen? Stand up, everybody. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now, God, for every single person in this room right now who might be listening to us, Father, in the future. Every single person who has never come to the place of surrendering their lives to you, Father. 
every single one of us, Father God, who's never come to that place to say, I do believe in Jesus. I do believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he went to the cross on my behalf and suffered for my punishment. I believe, God, that you raised him from the dead. And I want to declare that right now by faith. I want to publicly declare that my faith is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. If that's you, pray this prayer with us right now. The rest of us are going to pray out loud. Ready? Say this with me. Father, I pray right now that you would reveal Jesus to me like never before. I take the step of faith and I declare right now my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. I have no confidence in my own works. I have no confidence in my own goodness, Father. I come before you empty-handed by faith alone. I believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and I declare him to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving my sins. Thank you for making me a child of God. And I pray this right now in faith in your name. Amen. Now listen to me. Very important. I'm going to be out of here in two seconds. If that is the first time you prayed that prayer, please, please, just step up here and let one of the people that are standing up here know I prayed that prayer today for the first time. It's so important. It's so important that you seal that, that you seal that deal, that you seal it, you make it official. Secondly, if you prayed that prayer as an act of rededicating your life, recommitting yourself to the Lord, then please do the same thing. We have some materials you want to put in your hands to help you. This isn't where it ends. This is where it begins. And so we want to put some material in your hand to help you as you now pursue this journey, the most greatest adventure that you could ever go on, your life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything else, please come on up. If not, go enjoy the rest of this weekend. Uh, Don't forget we have the cookies and carols this afternoon for those of you that are registered for that. Amen? Amen? God bless you all.